Did you know that the Pope went to go and visit New York? Did you hear about it? He went to New York and he got off the plane and instead of being fetched in his Pope mobile, you know, they call it that in, in Rome, um, a limousine went up and, to fetch him. And, um, and, he, and he looked at the limousine driver and he was so excited, the Pope, because he said to the limousine driver, please, please can I have a go at driving? Like in Rome, where I am come from, like the Vatican City, narrow streets, you know, there's all this, like, please can I have a go at driving the limo? So the driver was just like, I'm sorry, sir, your highness, he didn't really know what to call him. But he said, I'm sorry, you know, the insurance, we're in the States, all this stuff. And then the Pope pleaded, and eventually he said, okay, like, how do you not give in to the Pope, you know? So he gave in, and, and they were driving around New York, and he followed the signs to an interstate, which is like a highway. And he got onto the highway, and the Pope put foot. In America, it's the opposite side, so it's not your right foot. Left foot down to the floor, zipping along the highway, all of a sudden flashing lights, pulled over. So he winds down his window, and the traffic officer is standing there, and he looks inside, and he sees that it's the Pope. He's still got his hat on, you know? And he sees that it's the Pope, and he's like, shucks, I don't know what to do about this. Best I phone headquarters to see what to do. So he phones the headquarters, and he says, guys, I don't know what to do. I've, I've just pulled over someone really important. So the guy says to him, who is it? Is it the mayor of New York? So he's like, no, no. He's more important than that. So the guy says, mm, governor, is it the governor of New York? No, more important than that. Who can be more important? Secretary of State. It must be the Secretary of State. The guy says, no, no, no. It's even more important than that. So he's thinking, well, there's only two other people. He says, Deputy President? He says, no. And he says, okay, <laughs> it can only be the President. There's only one other person, really, globally, that's more important. It must be the President. So the guy says, no, no, no. He's even more important than that. The Pope's driving. I think it must be God. <laughs> I mean, that was a good one, I know. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to be talking about, oh, blue skies, hallelujah. We're going to be talking about the gift of peace this morning. And I don't know about you, but when you look around yourself, do you feel like you are surrounded by peace? I don't know. I can hear someone going, sure. <laughs> it seems to be something that is like far from where we're at in the terms of a peaceful state. I don't know if you think about that, but peace in the dictionary. I'm going to talk about the dictionary definition, and then I'm going to allude to the Bible definition. The dictionary definition says that peace is freedom from disturbance. It's a state or a period without war. That's the dictionary definition, which sounds great, except <laughs> I then researched. I thought, let me find out about this war business, right? Are you ready for this? Since 36 BC, so 36 years before Christ, so over 2,000 years ago, there have been nearly 15,000 wars. Globally, there have been nearly 15,000 wars since 36 BC. Since before World War II, there was an average of 2.6 new wars every year. And then you think to yourself, ah, but since World War II, we've been better since then, you know, as humans. <laughs> Surely we've been better since then. No, we haven't. Since World War II, there have been an average of three new wars per year. So I don't know about you, reading those statistics, I was like, shucks, as people, we need help. 
as humans, we need help in this peace situation, you know? Truth and Reconciliation Committee, come, we need some help. <laughs> and you know what? There is only one person that can bring us the help that we need. In the Bible, the word shalom is used a lot when we, when we hear the word peace. And this is where the biblical definition of peace comes in. It talks about this. Um, talks about peace being a whole lot more than that. It's, it's more like an indwelling something that is there, a presence of something that is there. And there was a declaration made. There was a declaration made the night of Jesus' birth. And this is the declaration that was made. We all know the scripture. If you look at Christmas cards and you look at the ones that don't have Santa on, you know, the other kind, it'll say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. I want you to just look at the order of those words. The first bit says, glory to God in the highest. We cannot have peace here till we get that priority right on the earth. It has to first be glory to God in the highest, and we're going to talk about that more. And then the peace. And once the peace is there, then we can have goodwill to men. It can't happen until then. Does that make sense? So that biblical word shalom, it talks of this. It talks about being whole, complete, and lacking nothing. I don't know about you, <laughs> but even just those three words, whole, complete, and lacking nothing. I have to confess, they don't always resemble my life. I don't always feel whole, I don't always feel complete, and I'm not always lacking nothing. So it shows that we need some help, doesn't it? Also, in, in, in Jewish culture, the word shalom also means a binding together. Did you know that? It means a binding together of things that are in discord. So, Often it's used as a greeting. You hear people saying shalom when they come and shalom when they go. And it's actually declaring something. It's not just a greeting. It's not just like saying hi, Bianca. It's actually a shalom. It's saying, as I'm greeting you, if there be any discord amongst us, let there be peace. Let us bind together. As I go, I say shalom. So if I've left any discord or created any, I'm speaking peace. And I'm speaking peace when I go as well, so it's in the coming and the going, it's talking about that wholeness, that completeness, that lacking nothing. It also talks about this, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony. And then it says this, <laughs> the absence of agitation. <laughs> don't know about any of you. I know I'm the only one in this room that ever feels agitated with anything. But it's an, ag it's, a, it's an absence of agitation. It's an absence of discord. It's being complete, perfect, and full. That is the meaning of the word peace. We so often see it. We see the word peace and we think, oh, yeah, you know, peace, I kind of had a nice day. You know, there was no major wars around me. Parents will be like, yeah, I got the children up. They're still alive when they go to bed. It was a peaceful day, <laughs> you know. That's how we associate it, but it's so much more than that. So much more than that. I want you to, I want to read um, a, a passage to you, which is, um, which is some of the stuff it talks about in Corinthians that Paul went through. Paul in the Bible. I mean, that guy, he went through some stuff. Are you ready to hear? Are you ready to hear this stuff? He says this, I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, I've been at death's door time after time. 
I've been flogged five times with the Jews. 39 lashes. Jesus also got 39 lashes. Beaten by Roman rods three times. Pummeled with rocks once. I mean, once is enough, you know. I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling, year in and year out. Some of us complain when our flight's flight's delayed an hour, you know. I've had to ford rivers. I don't know if he's talking about the car. I know the ranger will probably do it, but he's had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city. I've been at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun. I just pushed a button, so I hope it didn't do something funny. There we go. Um, He goes on to say he's been endangered by desert sun and sea storm and betrayed by those that he thought were his brothers. He's known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. That's the stuff that he went through in 2 Corinthians. Yet, when we read (laughs) in Acts, when he was in prison, how much peace must it take when you are in prison, having gone through all of that, to sing praises robustly, it says in the Bible, such that it's so robust that the presence of God comes down, creates an earthquake, jailbreak of note, you know, People get saved, cities get changed after all of that stuff that he went through. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of peace that it doesn't matter what's going on around about me. I can sing hymns to God. I can do the glory to God in the highest first before anything else. I want you to imagine the night before Jesus died. We all know that the night before Jesus died was the Last Supper. Guys were hanging out together, discipleship 101 happening around the table, you know, breaking of bread, drinking some wine or some water. I don't know, it doesn't matter which. Both the same when Jesus was around. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter which. And these are some of the things that happened at the table the night before Jesus died. Are you ready for this? Judas betrayed him. Imagine sitting there with the guys you've been hanging around with day in and out for three years, right? Judas betrays him. He tells him, he's like, you. Sorry, you know, I mean, imagine me going up to Mike around a staff meeting and saying, Mike, you're going to betray me. And, and, and me kind of being okay with it. I don't know what Mike would feel, but me kind of being okay with it. Like, I'm just stating a fact. You're going to betray me. That was one of the things that happened. He told Peter that Peter was going to deny him three times. Imagine another friend at the staff meeting. Imagine I'm chatting with Bianca. You know, you're going to deny me three times before the next rooster crows. It's heart-wrenching, actually, when you think about what was actually going on. Thomas, at the same dinner, doubting Thomas as we know him, Thomas, when Jesus said he's going away, Thomas was like, going away? Like, what do you mean going away? You know? What do you mean going away? Like, how does that, what does that look like? Philip looked at at Jesus and said to him, after three years, said to him, won't you show us the Father? Like, can you imagine Jesus? I mean, I would have been like, where have you been for the last three years? Have you listened to a word that I've said? Seriously, you know? Like, from the moment I said, see me, see the Father, did you not hear that? You know, now, the night before I'm about to die, you're asking me this stuff. And the others were all talking amongst each other because Jesus said, in a while, I'm going away, in a little while. And they were all talking amongst each other. I mean, imagine they're talking amongst each other. They're like, "What what do you think he means in a while? Like, you ask him, you know? No, I'm not asking him. Last time someone asked him a question, we got a sermon. I'm not asking him that. You know? Imagine that. He's like, what? 
And here he is, Jesus, sitting with his band of brothers. Discipleship 101 happening. And they're all going through this stuff. And yet, on this night, the very same night, Jesus says these words. He says, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I don't know about you, but if I don't know that I would have had that reaction <laughs> after just having the revelation that half the people, if not more than half the people, I'm busy spending time with and bonding with around the table, are going to do this to me. We went out a couple of days ago for, to celebrate Serena's birthday, and, and I'd actually just started prepping my preach then, and I, I started thinking about this, and one of, at one moment I was sitting around the table, and I just thought to myself, Imagine if all of a sudden, whilst I'm sitting here, that I'm not getting prophetic, encouraging words for my friends around the table, that I'm actually starting to get revelation that Carol's going to do this, that Annie's going to do this, that Anronette's going to do this, that Serena's going to do that. If I'd had that revelation and then been able to turn around and say these words, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I don't think that would have been my reaction. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't think that would have been my reaction. And it's really interesting that we need to have a look at these verses. We need to have a look at them and say, first is first, glory to God in the highest. That's the first thing that we need to look at. In Isaiah, we need to look at this, that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. If he's the Prince of Peace, he must come from a kingdom where there is a God of Peace. Right? God is often called in the Bible the God of Peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So if he is the person of peace, best we have a look and see what it is that he's giving us peace for. And I believe this, that the first thing that he wants to give us peace for is in reconciliation with the Father. That's the first peace. That where he says, peace, I leave, I leave you. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about you need to get, first of all, in your soul, a state of peace, that there's no war in here happening between you and the Father. We were all created, every single one of us, with a God-shaped hole. We were created in the image of God. We know that. The Bible tells us that. So what does that tell us? That we need reconciliation with the Father. In Romans 5, it talks about this. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say we have peace with God because we've heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say we have peace with God because we have read about Jesus Christ. It says because of being through Jesus Christ, through him, through the work that he accomplished on the cross. That's how we are able to have that peace. Um, it's also called the good news, the gospel of peace. Have you heard the gospel spoken about? In Ephesians, it talks about it being the gospel of peace. Jesus signed a peace treaty with his blood when he died on the cross. That is the only peace treaty that actually counts. No other peace that anybody else tries to offer us will be worth anything in comparison to the peace treaty that is written in the blood of Jesus. Um, I found this really amazing verse in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was actually in exile <laughs> when he prophesied these words. And he said this, Ezekiel 37:26. He said, 
Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. This is God speaking. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary or my temple in their midst forever. We were at a place of being at war with God. We were. There's a whole lot of people out there. Those people that are doing those wars that we talked about, three new ones a year, those are the people that don't get this peace. They don't get that we are reconciled to God. They don't get that there's an everlasting covenant. What I particularly love about this verse is where it says that he will set his sanctuary or his temple in our midst forever. Those of us who know the Bible, where does it say in the New Testament that the temple is now? Who is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This covenant of peace is talking about the fact that right in here, right in here is the covenant of peace. Right in here is the sanctuary. Right in here is the temple. That's what we have access to. That's what we've got because of the blood of Jesus, because of that treaty, that peace treaty that he signed. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. So, the peace treaty, this peace treaty, has actually got nothing to do with us. <laughs> do you get that? It's a concluded fact. It has nothing to do with us. Jesus has done it all. There's nothing more or less that we can do that will anyway change the peace treaty. We can't have a conference in Parliament <laughs> to change the peace treaty. We can't even call the Pope or the President of the U.S., about this peace treaty. Its conditions are sealed. They are set. <laughs> they are signed. You know, signed, sealed, delivered, forever. It's done. It's done. So my question is then, <laughs> why don't we feel it? Why don't we experience it if it's done? Does anyone else wonder that question, or is it just me? And I think that there's an appropriation that needs to happen. There's a gift here on the table. And <clears throat> I don't know about you, I love Christmas. And I love, I'm not a gift-giving person, but when it's Christmas time, I love giving gifts, I love getting gifts, I love the surprise element, you know, even if you know what it's going to be. You know, like if you, if, you get a, if you get a box that's kind of about this thick, about this wide, you know, flattish, you're not going to guess that it's a shirt, you know, it's a DVD of sorts. <laughs> Even if you know what's inside, isn't there, there's still that element of surprise, you know? My mom and dad used to love wrapping presents up in boxes that were the wrong kind of box, just to make the surprise even more, you know? So they'd wrap up like a, a doll, but they'd put it in this massive huge box and then another smaller present inside. So it's just, you're just constantly unwrapping and unwrapping. Friends, if we don't unwrap that box, I can give you peace. I can give you a present. But if you don't unwrap it, you're not appropriating it. You'd look at this present and you'll say, wow, it's pretty. Look how Sam did it all beautifully, you know. Even matches the picture that it was at the beginning. Did you notice that? Beautiful red bow. I'm a bit OCD like that. You know. I'm even so kind as to tell you what it is. It's peace. But you can look at this present. You can put it under your tree. You can give it a hug. Oh, this is a nice gift. So beautiful. But unless you actually open it and appropriate it, it's just a gift. That's there. It's been given to you, but you're not appropriating it at all in any way. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, my peace I give you. He's given it to us. It's there. It's here. It's all around us. He's given it to us. 
And I think one of the best ways to look at, <laughs> to look at what this peace entails is to look at Jesus. You know, if he's giving us his peace, like I want to know what it is you're giving me. You know, if someone said to me, Sam, I'm giving you my car. Hallelujah. If any of you feel like that, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but if someone says to you, I'm giving you my car, you kind of want to know who that, like, can I use Serena? I know Serena don't mind because I know, you know, she, want, she loves me, so it doesn't matter if I, but if Serena said to me, Sam, I'm giving you my car. First of all, I know the car, so I'd be like, yes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's my dream car, babe. I'm just saying. But more than that, more than that, I know Zarina. Zarina's a bit like me. She also has color-coordinated closets, right? So she's a bit OCD, just a little bit OCD, just a little bit like me, a little bit OCD. I know that Zarina's car is spotless inside and out. If there's the tiniest scratch on the car, guess what? It gets fixed. So if Zarina says to me she's giving me her car, I know what I'm getting, I know what I'm in for. My celebration is going to be even bigger than some of you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying, okay? Because he's saying, I give you my peace. So I think it's a good idea to look at what that peace is that we get. And it's interesting in this verse in Isaiah 53. We all know this verse because we often use it. We use this verse about our healing, you know, and our sin. But I want you, sorry that you can't see it very well, I'll read it to you. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the need to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And then it goes on to say, and by his stripes we are healed. Do you get that? The need to obtain peace for us was also upon him. That part of that verse is so seldom heard. It's so seldom read. Even when I read it, I was like, oh, <laughs> revelation, Ding, light bulb moment. Because we all know, we can all quote the, you know, sin, transgression, guilt, by his stripes I'm healed, praise the Lord. But we forget that there's that one other bit. He's paid for us our peace. He's paid for it. Just as much as he's paid for our sin, he's paid for our peace. So why are we living in dispeace? I just made up a word. <laughs> Unpeace. My dad is the creator of the universe. I can make up a word. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's a good word. Put it in the dictionary. He secured, Jesus secured our peace. He took upon himself the sufferings that we endure because of a lack of peace. He took it upon himself. He secured that peace for us. That's what he did. So how do, how do we know that he had this peace? How do we know that Jesus appropriated this peace? Well, first of all, we've talked about he's the prince of peace. But secondly, let's look at some stuff, okay, in Jesus' life. Jesus, the night after the scripture, found himself in front of Pilate. Right? Pilate was busy asking him who he is, who are you, who do you say you are, what have you done, all these things. There was mocking going on. There was all this stuff. And at one point, Pilate said to, me, said to him, do you not know that I've got the power to either release you <laughs> or, to, or to crucify you? Do you know what Jesus said? This is the dude with the peace. He said this. He said, you have got no power unless it has been given to you from above. You've got no power unless it's been given to you from above. This is after the night before we've just read. All his friends were like, 
don't know who this guy is, all of a sudden he's saying weird stuff. You know, going to go betray him, deny him, all this stuff. Finds himself alone in front of Pilate. Pilate's saying these things to him, and this is Jesus. The peace, the peace that he had in his heart about the fact that glory to God in the highest. He's got it. (laughs) I don't know what's coming, although he did, but he's got it. Glory to God in the highest, and then the peace. Do you see the do you see the correlation here? In Mark 4, we read another story. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible lately. I love it. We read the story about Jesus being asleep during a storm in a boat. This story, I just love it. Like the day before, if you go and read in Mark 3, before Mark 4. It's funny how those numbers work. If you go and read in Mark 3, <laughs> Jesus is Jesus is he's he's out in the countryside. He there's miracles happening. I mean, he's, he's healing people. It talks about everywhere he went, he healed people, right? Also in Mark 3, we read that he cast demons out of people. By the way, one of the things that one of the demons said to him was, you are the son of God. People around didn't recognize, but the demons knew who he was. Just a question to ponder for yourself. This is for free. When you're walking around, do the demons know who you are? Hallelujah. Some people are going, yes. (laughs) When you walk into the room, do the demons go, oh, no. There's Kodani. Help. (laughs) Run. You know, the woman of power has entered the building. The demons looked at him and said, you are the son of God. Those are some things that that happened the the, the day before. Also, in Mark 3, we read that Jesus actually called his 12 disciples He called them and he appointed them and he said, these are the guys that are going with me. These are the ones. Come, guys. Come learn with me. Follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. We're all going to be great. Everything's going to be awesome. So he did all of these things in Mark 3. Gets tired. Gets into a boat. Jesus falls asleep. All of a sudden, storm clouds appear. Thundering, lightning, all these things going on. What does Jesus do? He sleeps. We read in Mark 3, earlier on in Mark 3, go and have a read of it. We read that Jesus had actually then already said to the disciples, get a boat ready in case the multitude gets too many. So his escape route was the boat. Now here he is in the boat and he's sleeping. Can you imagine his disciples? Panic. You know, the boat starts getting a bit rocky. I don't know, maybe they were seasick. Who knows? Imagine them like, you go wake him up. Go do something. Tell him it's getting a bit bumpy out here. You know? Who, you know? I'm not going to ask him. Imagine. He'll think I don't have any faith if I ask him. You know? <laughs> Last time anyone did that, he said, oh, you have little faith. You know, I'm not going to ask him. I'm not waking him up. <laughs> Imagine the conversation that was going on amongst them and the panic that was starting to rise. And then, not only is there a storm, it talks about in the Bible that the boat starts getting water in it. Now, I don't know about you. When the boat is becoming one with the sea, something is not right. (laughs) So their panic is starting to like just increase. What is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the storm. What does that tell us? That his resolve for his initial escape plan in trusting God is fine. It's going to be okay. He knows this. He knows it's going to be okay. He's not worried. His mates don't realize 
that this is the escape plan. And if Jesus said this is the escape plan, even though it's a bit bumpy right now, it's a good one. You hear what I'm saying? They, he trusted God. They didn't trust him. What is the first thing Jesus says when he's woken up? He doesn't say, guys, come on now. It's just a storm. <laughs> Don't panic. You know, he says just one word, peace, shalom. He's speaking this. He's speaking a binding together of the peace that is in him with the peace that is, that it, the discord that is around about him. He's saying peace. He's declaring shalom. He's declaring completeness, fullness, wholeness, nothing missing. He's declaring it over the ocean. Be still, he says. And guess what happens? It does be still. Amen. <laughs> Bill Johnson makes the statement. He says, you can only calm the storm that you can sleep in. I don't know about you, that with all these storms we've had in Joburg lately, our house at times can be a bit like a sieve. I love my house, but in the rain, it resembles a sieve at times. You know, um, there are leaking parts to our house. <laughs> and... And the first time there was major leaking parts and the hailstorms and all of that, you know, where we saw those photographs on the news with, you know, boat, cars that were resembling boats around the highways and stuff. My house, we were like leaking all over the place. And my husband was not on, wasn't yet home from work because it was kind of five-ish still. And I, I have to confess, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to go and sleep in that storm. I wouldn't. <laughs> How many of you in the recent weeks have been woken up by a storm? Not woken up by people who are scared in the storm, but woken up by the storm. We cannot calm a storm that we can't sleep in. We have to be able to sleep in the storm. We have to be able to trust in something bigger than the storm to be able to sleep in the storm. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Peace is not an absence of trouble. It's not an absence of trouble. It's the presence of the person. The peace that came in that boat wasn't because, initially, it wasn't because the wind and the waves stopped. That's not why there was peace. There was peace because the person of peace stood up and told the storm to stop. Because the person of peace stood up and told the storm to stop. That's why there was peace. So, why don't we have peace? Well, because I was a teacher in my previous life. I was going to read you a story, but I'm not. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you about this story. This story is called Peace at Last, and it's about a bear. I don't know if any of you have got children, you may have come across this story. When I was teaching in England, this was one of my children's in my classes. It was one of their favorite stories. And it talks about a bear, and the, the odd thing about this is... In the story, it's the mommy bear that is snoring. Now, ladies, I know it's not true. I'm just going to say that right there, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> so straight away, we know it's a fictional story, okay? But mommy bear was sleeping. So what did daddy bear do? He got up and he thought to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll go into my son's room and see if I can get some peace in there. So he goes into his son's room. Guess what his son's doing? Wide awake, playing airplanes. Daddy, come play airplanes with me. The dad's like, no, I need peace. So he goes elsewhere looking for peace. He goes out into the garden, lies down under the tree, closes his eyes, 
all of a sudden he realizes there are many things making a noise in a garden. No peace there. He can't sleep. Then he thinks he'll go inside and he'll go back inside, go to the lounge, go and lie down on the couch. Maybe there he'll find some peace and be able to sleep. He goes in there. The fridge from the kitchen is making a noise and he can hear it in the lounge. Can't find any peace. Eventually, he goes back upstairs. He just thinks, ah, I just give in. Goes back upstairs to Mama Bear. Mama Bear's turned over onto her side. Men just saying that's a good idea to do when you're snoring. Turns over onto his head, turned over onto his side. So she's no longer snoring. And Daddy Bear lies down, puts his head down, and at last he's able to get some sleep. And he closes his eyes, and the alarm clock goes off. What's the moral of the story? That if we allow ourselves to be distracted by all sorts of things, then the gift is not unwrapped. That gift remains wrapped, sealed, it's being delivered, but it's not ours. Distraction is the one thing that the enemy uses. If he can distract, he can lie to you. He can't lie to you unless he can distract you. Can't do it. Can't lie to you unless he can distract you. This morning, just before I woke up, I had a dream, and I don't normally have dreams. It wasn't a very nice dream. Well, it was. Uh, let me explain. So, <laughs> I don't normally have dreams. So, when I do, I know it's something important. So, I dreamed that I got up. This is before I got the coffee, you see. I dreamed that I got up, and I walked to my kitchen door, and I looked on the grass, and there was this fat black snake on my grass. And it was kind of slithering towards my kitchen door. And I kind of found myself in my dream kind of going, it was like a choice. It was like, do I panic or do I do something else? And in a split second, it was kind of like, what do I do? If I don't panic, what do I do? And this thought just came to me. Call someone who's good with snakes. Because doom's not going to work in this account, so I'm just saying. But <laughs> just had to throw that in there. So, so I thought to myself, I'll just call someone that's good with snakes. So in my dream, I turned around to, like, as in looking for somebody that I could call. And I turned back, and the snake was gone. And I, and I kind of said to God, when I woke up, I said to God, whilst I was drinking my coffee, Jesus and I were having some salmon coffee in Jesus' time. And I said to God, I said, what does that mean? And he said, if you call the right person for the right job, when the distraction first starts, then the enemy cannot lie to you. As soon as that distraction comes, we call the right person, then we cannot be lied to. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I wanted to have a look at this picture. You see, even in that picture, some of you are going, Sam, you're really bad at making a PowerPoint presentation. That picture is really out of focus. <laughs> the point is this, is that if we don't focus on the right thing, then we get distracted. So my aim with this slide was for you to see the words and to see the fact that if we don't unwrap the present, okay, if we have distraction, the present cannot be wrapped. Some of you might have been looking at that flower on that keyboard and been thinking it's really out of focus. That's a distraction. <laughs> it's a distraction. That's not what you're supposed to be focusing on. But it can be a distraction. And we need to start looking at the power of peace. This is what the Bible says. It says, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Guess what? Guess who has to do the not letting? There's an onus on us. Aggressively let not your heart be troubled. 
aggressively let not. Aggressively not let it be afraid either. It's an action we have to take. We have to do something so that it doesn't happen. In Colossians 3, there's this verse we find, which most of us will know. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Do you know what that word rule means? It means umpire. It's the same term as a referee. I don't know about how many of you watch any kind of, and we, know, we all know that Mike and soccer are like one. Um, but Bianca just, never mind, I won't tell you what Bianca just did. But um, <laughs> I don't know whether soccer have a third umpire. So let me talk, I don't know much about soccer, so I'm not going to go there. But let me talk about rugby, cricket, and tennis. In all of those three sports, there is a TV umpire, a TV ref, a third umpire who can overrule all the others. Peace in our hearts is supposed to be that umpire. Peace in our hearts is supposed to be that one that says, yes, you're in. (laughs) No, you're out. Don't follow that way. Yes, it was on the line. Well done. You got it. You know? Yes, it was a try. Good job. You know what I'm saying? It should be that that peace is the thing that rules our hearts. Amen. To have the final say. Hallelujah. And in Philippians, we read this, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love Philippians 4. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because in Philippians 4, we find a sandwich. Did you know that they had sandwiches in the Bible? In Philippians 4, verse 4, it talks about this. It says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So before this verse about the peace of God, it talks about rejoicing in God. Again, Glory to God in the highest first. Okay? It also talks about the verse before that. It says, be anxious for nothing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. It says, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts. Then we get to the Philippians 4 verse 7. The interesting thing is Philippians 4 verse 8 talks about once we've got the peace, we're able to control our thoughts. When I was in, um, long ago, his people first had begun, there was a pastor called Bill Bennett, some of you may know him, and he used to call these the thrapple thoughts, T-H-R-A-P-P-L-E. My husband's nodding because he remembers them. (laughs) What does thrapple stand for? Whatever is trustworthy, righteous, honorable, admirable, praiseworthy, peaceable, lovely, and excellent. Those are the things that we are to concentrate on. That's where our focus should be. Not on the snake that's coming towards us. Call the right person. And the power that we have is amazing. And in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 4, it then says this. It says, go and practice what you have learned. (laughs) Go and practice what you have learned. That's what it says. This is the appropriation. This is the let not your heart be troubled nor let it be afraid. We actually have to take some onus and action for it. We have to be the ones that is not letting our hearts. That means that there's a choice. Either I can go with the distraction or I can trust in the person. And if we're not trusting in the person, if we're not trusting in the nature of God, are we possibly putting the nature of God on trial? If we would rather trust in our own ability, trust in our own means for making something right, 
And I have to confess, I've had this issue even in the last couple of weeks, a financial issue. I don't know. It's Christmas time. I don't know what happens at Christmas time with finances. It's like we all need 15th checks, never mind any other 13th and 14th checks. (laughs) But there's a financial thing going on, and it's the wrestle between, am I going to trust in my own way to try and sort this stuff out, thereby putting the nature of God as provider on trial? Or am I going to trust in the nature of God, that he is good, that he is who he says he is, that he will make a way where there seems to be no way? So we cannot be doing that. We cannot be putting the nature of God on trial. I read this quote the other day, and I just love it. It says, trusting the Prince of Peace is an invitation to not have to know everything. Imagine that. Imagine not having to know everything. Some of us are control freaks in the room. I'm not going to raise my hand that anyone can see. But sometimes trusting God, sometimes not working things out feels difficult. I don't know about any of you. There's a difference between planning for your future and trying to work it all out beforehand. There's a difference. The difference is that if I'm planning it beforehand, it's my plan. And I need to find the answers. If it's us trusting him, guess what? It doesn't matter what the answer looks like, but the answer will come. The answer will be good. (laughs) Because why? Because he's got our best interests at heart. So therefore, we can trust in him. We can trust in knowing that because of that, it's going to be okay. Amen. I want, us, I, want to, I want to say this, that we, off, we need to start thinking about what we're thinking about. We need to start thinking about what we're thinking about. When your thoughts start wondering, start thinking about what it is you're thinking about. Because if you are distracted in any way from the focus of God, Isaiah talks about this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him, whose mind is set on him, whose mind is focused on him. That's who he will keep in perfect peace. So if we are looking at any other source, any other way, our mind is not stayed on him. It's not focused on him. And guess what? He cannot keep us in perfect peace. Even if he wants to, he cannot. Because we are not taking control. We are not doing the action. We are not letting our heart not be afraid and not be troubled. I want to wrap up with this verse. Isaiah 9, 6, we've all heard this verse spoken at Christmas time. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it says this, And of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Often when we say that verse, we forget the end peace, but too. <laughs> it's like the other verse in Isaiah. We forget the end peace. I think it's the enemy's way of distracting us. We don't notice that that peace is actually being bought for us. And of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. There is no end. Have you ever thought about that? There is no end. Imagine if your petrol tank had no end. Hallelujah. I know. So how much more hallelujah that the, that the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. Why is there no end? Let's go back to Ezekiel 37 because in here, in here is where the covenant of peace is arresting. It's in here. 
It's with us. We are that temple. We are that sanctuary where he's dwelling. The Bible also tells us that we are the ones who have got the gospel of peace shod on our feet. Where we go, we carry the gospel of peace. Have you ever thought about everywhere you've put your foot? Think about it. Next time you go Christmas shopping, if you haven't done it already, everywhere you put your foot, you are marking territory for the kingdom of God. You are walking with the gospel of peace shod on your feet. Everywhere you go, every step you take. Imagine if we were able to sleep in the storm. Imagine if I walked into a shop and people looked around and said, something's just entered the building. It feels different. I'm no longer afraid. I just feel like everything's going to be okay. I feel like all of a sudden complete and whole and lacking nothing. Just imagine it. Imagine it. I worked in London for 10 years uh, a while ago before I came back and met my husband. Hallelujah for South African husbands. And, um, <laughs> and when I, was, I was in London when it was the 2005 bombings. And I'd actually gone to work because I, I used to like, well, I still do, like getting up early and beating the traffic when I'm going anywhere. So I used to get up early, get on the tube, and get to work. And I can remember just all of a sudden there was just chaos and panic at school. I remember people, I can, you know, people were saying, watch the news, listen to what's happening. So we had the news on, and, you know, and first of all, it's a bomb in the underground, and then it's a bomb in a bus, and then it's this, and then it's that. And I remember standing there thinking at the time I was living with my best friend and her brother, and I remember thinking that I know that right now my best friend Lisa has gone into town on a bus to go and sort out a visa or a passport for somewhere she was going somewhere. And when I heard the number of the bus, I remember thinking that's one of the ones that Lisa will have gotten on, that exact bus number. At the same time, I hear about an Edgeway Road bomb on the tube. That Edgeway Road bomb is the exact tube that my friend's brother used to get on to and from work. I, used, I had just before that, about 20 minutes before that, gone through that station and gotten off at the next station to walk to school. And I remember standing there and I remember thinking, it would be awesome to know if my friends were okay. <laughs> but guess what they'd done? They'd cut all cell phone communication so that the emergency services could use it. So the only way that we could have access to anybody was through a landline. And in London, most of the teachers in our school were international teachers. So we had family trying to phone in. We were trying to phone family, say, hey, it's okay, we're alive, all these things. I remember standing in the principal's office and thinking to myself while I was waiting to phone my mom, because that was the one person I wanted my mom to know that I was okay. Even though I wanted that, I knew, somehow I knew that Lisa and Alec were okay. I just knew. Don't ask me how I know. I just knew that they were okay. And I remember someone coming up to me afterwards, a, a lady that didn't know Jesus came up to one of my friends, and she said to me, Sam, when I saw you standing in the office, there was just such a peace about you that I can't understand it. <laughs> can't understand why it was there. I was just calmly waiting for the phone. And I had the opportunity to say to her, it's because the Prince of Peace is residing in here. The Prince of Peace is residing in here. And even though there's chaos and calamity around me, I know that I'm okay because I'm standing here. And I know that my friends are going to be okay. I just knew. It was just a knowing. It was a knowing because I know God. It was a knowing because I know his character and his nature. Does that mean everything's always been okay in my life? No. <laughs> Not at all. 
You know, there's been recent stuff that I've had to go through where there's been a, a distraction of, am I going to go this way and focus on that snake or am I going to find somebody who can deal with the snake? And even if there's pain in our lives, friends, I want to say this. There's a difference between pain and being distracted by the enemy. There's a difference between pain and listening to the lies of the enemy. We can go through stuff and we can still we can still be able to sleep in the storm. We can still know because we can trust in God. We don't need to put the nature of God on trial. If we understand first, glory to God in the highest, and then peace on earth, and then goodwill to men. The more we surrender to the government of Christ in our lives, the more easily we'll be able to appropriate the peace which he has given us. Amen. John MacArthur says this. I want to just finish with this. He says this, uh, he says that divine peace is this. It's a supernatural, permanent, positive, no side effects, divine tranquilizer. <laughs> I just love it because it talks about everything that it is. It's not us. <laughs> it's permanent. It's positive. It's good. There's something good in it. There's something good coming because God is good. It's got no side effects. Guess what? If we get distracted by the enemy, there are going to be side effects. And they're not going to be good ones. You know those when you open a packet of medicine and it's got side effects and you read that whole lot and you think, gosh, I'm going to, you know, if any of that happens, it's worse than my headache. I'll just stick to the headache. Thanks. You know? And it's a divine tranquilizer. What does that mean? It's not saying that some, nothing's going to happen. It's just saying that in the midst of it all, we'll have a confidence in knowing the Prince of Peace. We have a confidence in knowing that the person that he is gives us a presence to be able to have a peace which passes all understanding. And the power that we have when we walk around knowing that peace, that we can actually go into an environment, go into a storm, and in going into a storm with the peace that we have in our hearts, we can overrule the chaos. The peace in you can overrule the chaos in your life. Amen. Amen. Can I ask us to close our eyes? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord God, I thank you that we get to know through the blood of Jesus what peace is all about. We get to know the God of peace through the Prince of Peace. And I just want to give us an opportunity this morning. Maybe you don't know the Prince of Peace. Maybe, maybe that first part of of the, of the talking today was just that, that you actually realize that you are still at war within your own soul. That the peace that you are looking for isn't actually even yet anything to do with what's going on outside. That even in your own heart, you are still at war. And you don't yet know this Prince of Peace. And Father God, I just pray for each of these that is standing, Lord God. I just release, Father God, first and foremost, the Prince of Peace to become the front central rule and umpire in their hearts, in Jesus' name. And Lord God, just as you in the storm stood up, you woke up and you said, peace, be still. Lord God, we speak that over these people this morning. We just declare, peace, be still in your heart. Peace, be still in your surroundings. Peace, be still in your relationships. Peace, be still in your work, in your finances. Wherever it is, in your health, we just declare peace, be still. We speak the word shalom over you right now. From the top of your head to the tips of your toes, we just declare shalom. Everything whole, 
everything complete, nothing lacking. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.